I'm just curious, how many of you are kind of newer to our midweek service by raising hands? Like maybe the last couple months. All right, welcome. Well, it's great to have you here. I want you to understand we go verse by verse through the Bible here on our midweek services because we believe as we go through the Bible, the Bible goes through us. We believe that the Bible is God's living word and accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, or the, the word says that it is living and that it equips us for every good work. So we don't just come here out of religious obligation on a Wednesday night and simply just to study, but to meet with God, to encounter God through the worship, through his word, and to allow him to equip us for every good work. So we're going to be continuing verse by verse here, chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read, we'll pray, and then we'll dive into it. Are you guys awake? Are you with me? All right, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read the 21 verses tonight, but we're going to start off with just verses 1 through 4. If you would, follow along with me. Verse 1, we read, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear... Lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity. Everyone say simplicity. The simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Let's pray together. God, as we open up your word, we do pray for the persecuted church there across the world, Lord. And we thank you, God, that we can meet freely here tonight. And I pray that as we do meet with you, that you would speak to us, that your word truly would be living, God, that you truly would equip us for every good work, that you would encourage and correct us, that you would strengthen us. And Lord, I pray that tonight we would just be in awe of the simple gospel. Lord, that we can get so caught up with all the things around us, but Lord, may we just marvel at the goodness of who you are and the person of Jesus, Lord, what you've done at the cross and the reality that you're alive today. And Lord, that the gospel can continue to work in our lives. Lord, we welcome you into this place. And in Jesus' name, your church said, amen. Well, as we continue tonight in chapter 11, we're in 2 Corinthians. I was reminded of this last week. On Friday, we took a youth team over to Vista Skate Park, and we did a quick outreach um, there with the hopes of reaching the skate community. We partnered with the Whosoever's, Ryan Reese and the Whosoever's, if you've ever heard of them, they're incredible, and they really do a good job at kind of target, targeting the skate community. And so we, we just showed up. We throw a best trick contest on the spot. And if you've ever been over at Vista Skate Park off of um, Santa Fe, it is, uh, it's a scene to say the least. It's a diff- definitely a different crowd than uh, I've been used to being here in Vista since June. And I was used to this crowd back where I'm from in Lompoc, but I haven't really interacted with this sort of crowd here in Vista. And so we show up and, you know, I'm the classic kind of youth pastor. I pulled the move where I got my dickies on. I'm trying to like kind of speak their language. 
language. I got my skateboard. You know, I wouldn't say I was trying to be cool, but I was trying to show that side of me like, okay, I know it's up. And we're throwing this contest with them. And we've got some of our students there underneath the tent. And the best trick contest has started. And all these kids are just going crazy, the the tricks they're doing. And I'm kind of in the middle of the park and I'm walking over to where our tent is and where our group is. And as I'm walking over to them, I'm distracted by all the skaters that are going around. If you've been around a group of skateboarders, it's kind of dangerous. You can get run into, a skateboard can fling up and hit you in the shin or hit you in the face. I mean, it's crazy what these guys are doing. So I'm walking back over to the tent and as I'm walking, I'm looking around at all the skaters and I don't notice, but there's a rail right in front of me and I trip over the rail in front of everyone. It was pretty funny. And I definitely was not the cool youth pastor. But why do I tell you this story? The point is this. I didn't notice the danger of the rail that was right in front of me because I was distracted by what was around me. And here, as we look at the Corinthians and the church of Corinth, they were distracted about what was going around them. In fact, as Pastor Rob mentioned last week, they were distracted by these super apostles, or as Rob mentioned, they were celebrity pastors of that time. These Corinthians, this this church, it was distracted by what was around them that they did not see the danger that they were falling into. I think it's important to note that the danger here was happening within the church. And so tonight, the title of our message is Slipping from Simplicity. Because here, the, the church in Corinth, they were slipping or they fell over. They were falling away from the simplicity that is in the message of the gospel or the good news of Jesus. Why were they slipping? Because they were distracted by what was going around them. It was pulling on their hearts. And so tonight we're going to look at four warnings to prevent us from slipping in our faith. Four warnings we're going to pull out from this text to prevent us from following Jesus in our life. Number one, we're going to see the danger of distraction from verses one through four. Number two, we'll see the danger of false doctrine from verses 5 through 12. Number three, we'll see the danger of deception from verses 13 through 14. And number four, we will see the danger of division from verses 16 through 21. But let's begin with the danger of distraction. If you would, read with me one more time verses 1 and 2. As Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he continues and says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. It has been said that if the devil cannot destroy you, he will distract you. The truth is when he distracts us, we end up destroying ourselves. And here as the church of Corinth The devil isn't destroying them. He's distracting them from the simple truths of the gospel by these other false teachers, these other leaders that that were infiltrating the church. They were distracted and enamored by these men. As as I mentioned, these men were like the, the super apostles Paul referenced them. Last week, again, Rob referenced them as the celebrity pastors of that time. Certainly in the church of Corinth, the Corinthians were enamored by this men. Why? Because they spoke more eloquently than Paul. 
They certainly looked better than Paul. Do you remember the description Pastor Rob gave last week? Hook nose, short dude. His eyes are like falling apart. I mean, he was not a good looking guy. So they were enamored by the eloquence of speech. They were enamored by the good looks. They were enamored by the exercising of authority that these other teachers, leaders would come in. And they had this worldly type of authority. But man, it was appealing to the Corinthians. They were used to people coming in and bossing them around and telling them how to live. And these leaders were coming in and doing so. And it appealed to the Corinthians. They were distracted by these men. They were falling into the danger of distraction. And as Paul begins to write with him, he says, if you've been putting up with these men, would you for a moment put up with me? I've got some more things to say. At chapter 10, there was kind of this shift where Paul is getting really heavy. He's really correcting a lot of of what was going on there in the church of Corinth. I mean, there was a lot to correct already, but now he's, he's kind of hammering back in. He's getting a bit stern with them. Saying, if you put up with them, put up with me for a little bit longer. Why? Why was this so serious for Paul? Because their distraction, these men had distracted them from their loyalty to Jesus. They were distracted from their loyalty. Paul says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Paul was jealous for their attention. They had been distracted from the true gospel, the only gospel, and now their attention and their affection was turning toward these other leaders. And Paul saying, I am jealous for you. Now it's important to note that jealousy can be both sinful and it can be helpful. Now, sinful jealousy, we all have all experienced. Sinful jealousy is what the Bible refers to as covetousness, where we are jealous of somebody's possessions, of somebody's life, of someone's relationships. We're jealous of other people. This is sinful jealousy. But there is helpful or godly jealousy. And this was the jealousy that Paul was showing. He was jealous for their affection and attention. That the affection and attention of the Corinthians would go back to Jesus. You see, they had been distracted from him. They were distracted from the simple truths of the simple gospel and they were enamored by the glitz and the glamour of these other teachers and what they had to present. And Paul is saying, I am jealous for your attention and for your affection. Did you know God is a jealous God? The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20 verse 5, you must not bow down to them or worship them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Consider that for a moment. The God who owns cattle on a thousand hills. The God who has created all things and holds all things together. It is this God who is jealous for your attention and your affection. He is jealous for your heart. He is a jealous God. 
He wants to have intimate relationship with you. And by this time, the Corinthians were on the verge of forfeiting their loyalty to Jesus for their loyalty to these other teachers. Paul says, I'm jealous for you. Paul was not jealous of them. Paul was not jealous of these other teachers. He was jealous for the hearts and the affection and the attention of the Corinthians that they might be brought back to Jesus. You might ask yourself this question today. Am I distracted? Or really better, what am I distracted by? In our time Regardless of whatever generation you may be in today, I believe more than any other time, we have a lot of distractions. There are a lot of people and voices and platforms and media and companies that are fighting for your attention and your affection. And God says, I'm a jealous God. Is there anything that you are distracted by? Because if the devil cannot destroy you, he will distract you. So you will end up destroying yourself. This is what was happening to the church of Corinth. What are you distracted by today? Notice this was a danger that was within the church. I think there's a temptation I can speak in my own life and I'm sure I'm not the only one that when we get into church, we can get distracted with the incredible worship band. We can get distracted by the incredible voices. We can get distracted with the teachers or the light or the LED screen or the new paint that's out there as you drive up. And none of these things are bad. But we can get so distracted, we can sit in our seats and we can begin to critique everything that's off in the room. That we miss out on being simply with Jesus. What are you distracted by today? Maybe it's not in the church. Maybe your heart is being pulled in a different direction because of the distractions of the world. There are many things that are vying for your attention and your affection. And Paul here, he is warning of the danger of distraction. He's saying, I am jealous for your attention. God is a jealous God, jealous for your attention and for your affection. Speaking of jealousy, Alan Redpath said, God's jealousy is love in action. He refuses to share the human heart with any rival, not because he is selfish and wants all for himself, but because he knows that upon that loyalty to him depends our very moral life. God is not jealous of us. He is jealous for us. Paul wanted to see the Corinthians fall back in love with Jesus and the simple truths of the simple gospel. He wanted them to know Christ and Christ crucified. Why? Why was this so important to Paul? Because Paul's desire is there in verse 2 is that he may present them as a chaste virgin, virgin to Christ. What does that mean? Paul's heart was to present them before God with a sincere and pure heart. A spiritually unadulterated heart. Notice he says that he desires to present them to what? To one husband. That there was one person 
on the throne of their hearts and that would be Jesus. And man, that is a great question to ask us today. What is on the throne of our hearts? Where is our affection on our devotion and our attention? Paul's desire was to present them as a chaste virgin of Christ. Now it's important to note that back in that time that it was the father's responsibility to present their daughter as a virgin to the man that they were to be betrothed to. And so as we begin to read this, we might, you might hint some sarcasm in Paul's voice, but you have to realize that Paul is talking more as a fatherly figure to them. And he is warning them because his desire is to present them unadulterated to Jesus with their heart and their affections and their attentions purely and wholly on him. Now I want you to consider though how remarkable this is that Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Do you remember the immorality in the church of Corinth? Some of the problems that were going on, sleeping with like the, the stepmom and different immoral sexual sins and all this immorality that the, the Corinthians were experiencing. And Paul is saying here that his desire is to present them as a chaste virgin to Christ. Does that not speak of how good the simple gospel is? That he can take broken and he can take bruised and he can take filthy people like us and we can be washed in the blood of Jesus to be presented as a virgin to the groom, to Jesus. Well, that is good news. It was to the church of Corinth that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Where are you on that list? Verse 11 though, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The good news of the gospel. That he can take people like us who do not deserve to inherit the kingdom of God. That we can be washed in the blood of Jesus and sanctified by his spirit to be presented as a chaste virgin of Christ. This was Paul's heart and Paul's desire. They had been washed. They had been purified. But now they're distracted. They're distracted from the simple gospel. They're distracted by the goodness of God. They're distracted from the grace of God. And Paul is here warning them. His heart was to present them to Jesus, unadulterated from the other teachings of the world so that their affections and their attentions would wholly be on Jesus. But they were distracted from their loyalty in Jesus because of these other teachers. And they were distracted from the simplicity of Jesus. Beginning there in verse 3, we'll continue. He says, but I may be corrupted... 
Or, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. In other words, they were tolerating a different gospel. They were tolerating different teachings. They were so distracted and enamored by these different men and by what they were teaching that now they were slipping into the danger of false doctrine. This is where they were at. They were looking to another gospel and Paul compares the Corinthian situations to the same tactics that the slithery serpent of Satan used against Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan's tool for deception for Eve was distraction. The forbidden fruit, enamored by the beauty of it. The forbidden fruit that she wasn't supposed to touch. The distraction of that fruit that then quickly led to the questioning of the authority of God's word. Will you surely die? The serpent said. The Corinthians were experiencing the same temptation, the same deception, the same dangers. And we do today as well. The dangers of distraction that would then lead us to questioning God's word and the authority of God's word. The Corinthians were distracted by the appealing false teachings and questioned the authority of God's word that was given through the Apostle Paul. Now this was a common problem of that time. For Paul would say to the churches in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach another gospel to you than what we have preached you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Paul makes it very clear As he writes to the churches in Galatia, there is only one gospel. There is only one true gospel. It is the gospel of grace. And here, now these men were coming in with a different gospel and they were being tempted. Their distraction was easily leading to the temptation and the danger of false doctrine. So let's continue to read in verses 6 through 12. Paul writes about this false doctrine. He's writing about these false teachers. Beginning in verse 5 actually. It says, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech, and yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you may be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. 
And as the truth, truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you, God knows. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. Here, as Paul continues, he is contrasting himself to the false teachers. Their distraction had led to false doctrine that was now determining how they were treating the Apostle Paul. And it's important to note this, that what you believe determines how you behave. What you believe determines how you behave. This is why in most of Paul's letters, he begins with the first few chapters of this is the doctrine and he ends the last few chapters with duty. He begins the chapters or letters with belief and he ends it with behavior. What we believe determines how we behave. Here we see that the Corinthians had adopted false teaching. They had adopted false doctrine. We see this by the way that they were treating Paul. They were treating Paul differently. They were showing that they did not really believe the teachings and the doctrines of Paul. They were more concerned with the other teachings that were infiltrating the church. How were they behaving toward Paul? Well, we see first that they thought that he was inferior because he could not speak as well as the other apostles. This was a really, really big deal to the Corinthians because Paul was not as an eloquent of a speaker. They interpreted that. Their teaching told them that Paul, therefore, must not have as much authority as these other teachers because he was not as eloquent of a speaker. And so they are making fun of Paul in the way that he is talking. And he's saying because Paul is not as eloquent as speech, they weren't listening to his teachings. The Corinthians were elevating gifting over character. We see also through this that the Corinthians held an unbiblical view of authority. They held to the doctrine that if you were a real teacher, then you would collect an offering for your teachings. What Paul goes on to say here is that he was humbling himself by not asking for an offering. He was working, so to speak, free of charge. He was not asking for a collection. He was not asking for support from the Corinthians. He was simply laboring for them out of love. Now, at that time, it was common for rabbis or philosophers, if they were to give a lecture, then there would be a speaking fee. This is not uncommon even in today's world. If you're going to go listen to a TED Talk or some conference online, there might be a fee for you to listen so that they would get an honorarium. Even in church culture, when certain people speak, we, we give honorariums to thank them because the Bible does say that a, a laborer is worthy of his wages. But Paul's saying, I lay down that liberty so that I could simply labor out of love for you. I did not ask anything from you. I simply lived off the support of the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. We know that Paul was also a tent maker by trade. But the point that he's making is that I did not ask you for anything. And now you're using that against me. 
He's using the literary device of irony. He's, he's, he's backing their, their argument for them to see how silly and foolish they sound. He's using their words against them for them to understand, look how, how foolish your guys is thinking of. I came to you out of love. I didn't ask you for anything. I relied on the generosity of others. But the Corinthians interpreted this as a sign that he wasn't held in high regard, that his reputation was weak, that there wasn't much authority because if there was a lot of authority, if there was something special about what Paul was speaking about, then he would have asked for a charge. Paul's saying that's foolishness. That's foolishness. Whatever teaching, they'd adopted this false teaching from this false doctrine. They were distracted and now they're in false doctrine. And now they are treating and stripping Paul of his authority. And Paul is calling them out. He's correcting them. He's saying, isn't this so foolish of you? He's not giving in to the false doctrine of these super apostles like the Corinthians were. And so what are some of these false teachings though? See, there was two very common false doctrines of that time. And it's the same false doctrines really today. There's two ways you can break down false doctrines. False doctrine is adding to Jesus or it's subtracting from Jesus. False doctrine is adding to Jesus. At that time, it was the Judaizers. The Judaizers is who Paul would write to in the book of Galatians. They were Jewish converts to Christianity that received the grace of God and the message of the gospel. But they said Jesus's work on the cross is only enough to get you started and not enough to get you finished in your road of salvation. They were saying that grace was, was not all of it. They were adding works and ritual and ceremony. They were saying Jesus plus fill in the blank equals the gospel, equals the good news, equals the way of the salvation. They were saying that in order to stay and remain loved and accepted and in Christ, then now you needed to prove yourself. This is what the Judaizers were communicating and infiltrating the early church at that time. And this may have been what some of these false teachers were teaching. They were Judaizers bringing in the law. They were taking away from the grace of God or really they were adding to the grace of God to put burdens on the people. But you know what? There's the same teachings today. The same teachings today. It's legalism. It's saying this is why you, you receive the gospel of grace but now do this. This is what Mormonism does. This is what Jehovah Witness do. This is what many, unfortunately, Christians can fall into. That in order to remain saved and accepted and loved and forgiven by God, then you need to read your Bible five times a day. You need to go to church three times a week. We put on different burdens and different rituals on us that take away from the grace of God and the simplicity of the gospel. Why do we do this? Why is this so appealing? Because Paul would say in, in the book of Galatians, again, that it appeals to our flesh. Because we want to prove ourselves. We want to show how good and spiritual and awesome we are. And so we boast about how epic our devotions were in the morning and how I've read this much and gone to church this much and look how much I'm serving the Lord. 
And we boast about it as if God would be impressed. It's foolishness. It's false doctrine. It strips away from the simplicity of the gospel. We're slipping in our faith when we receive and we turn to these doctrines. But there's also the false doctrine of subtracting from Jesus. This was also common in the early church. There was a group known as the Gnostics. And the Gnostics subtracted from the person of Jesus. Questioning the deity of Jesus. Questioning the atonement of Jesus. And giving way to a moral and licentious living. And this false teaching is also very prevalent today. In fact, just go on Instagram or if you're, you're new, go on TikTok. Like if you want to be new school. There's all these false teachers all over the place, that they're stripping away from the deity of Christ. There is major teaching going on right now. Progressive teaching that says that Jesus, once again, he was simply a man. They're stripping away from the atonement. They're not believing in the blood. I just came across the other day, I was scrolling through Instagram with with one of our interns and this person comes on the screen and they're good looking and they're hip. And, and this person just begins to talk of how, oh, Jesus didn't really come for sinners. He came to save the oppressed and he was the Messiah, came to save the people from oppression. And this teaching is infiltrating young people. Your kids, your grandkids, they're being hammered with this stuff. That we're not really sinners in need of a savior. Jesus is a good guy and lived a moral life and we should follow some of his teachings. But man, don't beat yourself up so bad. And the atonement and the blood of Jesus. Man, isn't that weird that God would send his son to die? Oh, you're not really a sinner. This is prevalent. This is rising. It's coming back and it's coming in hot right now in our culture. But it's been around forever. It's false teaching that is subtracting from the gospel. It's subtracting from the grace of God. It's the teaching that subtracts from the power of God's grace that says, hey, since you're forgiven, now you can live this immoral life. No. Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds, but where grace abounds, does sin abound? Certainly not. But these were the false teachings that were in the early church that are here today and that Paul as a father is warning us. Don't slip and fall into this stuff. It is dangerous because what do these false teachings lead to? They lead to the danger of deception. But you must understand this with the danger of false doctrine. That Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 3, the time will come when people will not listen to the truth. They will look for teachers who will tell them only what they want to hear. It was there in the early church and it's here today. You can find whatever teaching you want. Whatever teaching that will tickle your ear to say stay in that relationship, to say stay in that sin, to doubt certain scriptures. Paul says beware though. Beware. You're going into deception. This is false doctrine. You're going to slip from the simplicity of the gospel and you're going to fall. It's going to end up destroying you. Be careful. Warning. The dangers of false doctrine that add to Jesus and subtract from Jesus, that subtract 
or add to the simple gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but come to everlasting life. The simple gospel that God loved us but sin came into the picture so God came in human flesh, lived the perfect life we couldn't, died upon the cross for our sin, was buried, he died, and he rose again victoriously. And you can receive him by faith. It's the simple gospel. It's the beauty of the gospel. The Corinthians were distracted. It led to false doctrine. And then it led to the danger of deception. You guys, it all comes together. The danger of deception. We see this in verses 13 through 15. Paul already mentioned the word deceived when he mentioned the serpent there in verse 2. And now he brings it up again in verse 13. He says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. In other words, he's saying, warning, warning lest you be deceived. Deception. Deception. It speaks of the twisting of Scripture. A deceitful worker is one who is crafty and one who is subtle. False doctrine is always subtle. They're little, what we might think of half truths, but they're all false truths. The serpent has been using it from the beginning. He used it in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. John chapter 3. What does he do? He tempts Jesus even with the quoting of scripture. But what does he do to scripture? He twists it. He's crafty. He's subtle. It's the danger of deception. You know, I often say when I'm talking and, and appealing the gospel message to non-believers, and it's the beauty of the gospel that Jesus meets us where we are at. But so does the devil. He meets us where we're at. He knows our temptations, whether it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or whether it's to be this morally astute and sophisticated and spiritual person. The devil knows where to meet us and he knows how to come as, a, as an angel of light. He knows how to transform himself in that way to distract us, to deceive us. The devil knows the word of God, but he twists the word of God. Jesus, speaking of the devil, says this. Jesus is so epic. I love it. He says, when he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is who the devil is. He's a father of lies and he loves to give us these subtle, subtle lies. Oh, he knows that he cannot destroy a child of God. So what does he do? He distracts and he lies to the children of God. Think of Job. 
lie after lie after lie through the mouths of his friends as he was suffering to get him to doubt the goodness of God and the authority of God. Lie after lie after lie. Man, this is a danger of deception that we even find in the church. The devil knows how to transform himself into an angel of light. These false teachers, they always masquerade themselves as appealing They know how to talk the talk and walk the walk and use the same churchy words that we use in our Christian culture. We might think it sounds good, but it's twisted. It's deceptive. Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. It's not a fun subject to talk about and preach on, honestly. But it's so common. This is the dangers. It's the dangers that we as the church face and we must guard against. We must know the true gospel. We know, must know the only gospel. We must test all spirits. We must be discerning in what we are taking in. We must know the truth. The devil knows how to come as an angel of light. And this was the case in the church of Corinth. These religious men, whether Judaizers or whether these other group, the Gnostics, they knew how to come in and to twist the words. It was deceptive and they were falling for it. And what does it end with? It ends with division. Let's read verses 16 through 21 as we see the danger of division. Paul says to them, if I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool that I also may boast a little. Notice here is when Paul is using the literary device of irony. He is using their words against them to show them how foolish they sound. This is what he's doing. And it shows that there was division among them for him to be on the defense like this, to be in this place, to use this irony against them. And so he says, verse 17, what I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many boasts according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly. Since you yourselves are wise, there's the irony, for you put up with it, for one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. To our shame, I say that we were too weak for that, but in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. He's being ironic to them. He's being stern with them. But he was drawing the line with them. Where do we draw the line with others? When is right division necessary? When false doctrine is prevalent. We can't tolerate it because it destroys. And so here, there's the danger of division. It's breaking down the church of Corinth, but he's addressing the division. He's addressing the conflict once again. He's confronting them. 
And he's, he's, he's trying to appeal the, to them for them to see how foolish that they sound. Get this. Read with, with me again. It just, it blows my mind there in verse 20. He says, for if you put up with it, if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts you, if one even strikes you on the face. What Paul is saying is that those who the Corinthians were saying were wise, were literally spiritual leaders that were tumbling all over them, that were hitting them on the face, that were devouring them and literally spiritually abusing them. At that time, it was not uncommon for rabbis to smack a follower on the face if they were not doing what they were supposed to do. If they were living not accordingly with their teachings. They could smack them on the face. Paul's saying, you see this foolishness? You're calling me the fool? But this is what false doctrine does in a spiritual sense. It, by way of application. It makes us the fool. It slaps us around. It devours us and beats us up. False doctrine that says you need to do more. You need to be better. You need to be greater. You need to be the best version of yourself in order then for you to experience the goodness of, of God and the life that God has for you. Man, it beats you up. When you le- live with the bondage of legalism, it beats you up. When you live with the bondage of, 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 Allowing and justifying sin and and taking away from the grace of God that enables and transforms us. It ends up beating us up. False doctrine always leads to this. Paul's saying, this is where I draw the line. He's getting very stern. He's correcting them. He's getting bold with them also. Next week, we'll see Paul's resume. And it all has to do with weakness. And man, I can't wait because it's going to show and point to the grace of God as we look at it. But in closing today, this is where distraction, the danger of distraction will lead us to. If the devil can't destroy us, he will distract us. And that distraction will lead to false doctrine and that false doctrine will lead to deception and that deception will lead to division. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we make sure that we do not trip and fall over these things? How do we avoid the dangers of slipping from the simple gospel? I would say the key is simple. It's Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are so, or we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. The distraction, the false doctrine, the the deception, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him. He who endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's 
throne. How do we avoid these dangers? Simply Jesus. The slogan of our church. You see it when you walk in. It's on everything that we print out and we hand out. Simply Jesus. Keeping the main thing, the main thing. It's all about him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you, Lord, for the simple gospel. We thank you, Jesus, for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that your blood has washed us and purified us and set us free. We thank you that you have made us who were once dead and our trespasses and sin made alive to you. God, I pray that we would be a church in a body that would run with endurance looking unto you. Help us not be distracted by the things of this world or the things that may even show up in the church. May we keep our eyes simply on you, Jesus. May we rest and be in awe of the beauty of the gospel that you would take sinners like us and die for us at our worst that we may be seated with you, that we may become children of God. Lord, would we be a people that is always in awe of you. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that the gospel is simple. In Jesus' name, amen.